everyone. Talk Radio 930 WTAD. The Mary Griffith Show is underway. The third Thursday of the month means Deborah Lee from Four Winds Farms is here. She's a master gardener with the University of Illinois Extension, and they've agreed to help us out once a month and give us gardening tips. And we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, building a raised bed, planting a pollinator garden, how to get ready for spring and fall. And maybe anything else that Deborah Lee wants to talk about. Good morning. Good morning. I have a couple of other things, too. Well, well start with them if you want. <laughs> we'll do whatever order you want. It's your show. Okay. So uh, one, one of the many wonderful things about U of I Extension is all the horticultural programs we have and all the opportunities. Now, as a master gardener, we study for a long time, and then we do volunteer work. And there's the same thing with the Master Naturalist program, that finally, after about 10 years of wanting to get this, we're going to have it here available in our area. And so if you're interested in that, that you have until March 3rd to sign up for this Master Naturalist program, and it's really a wonderful program. Uh, we have partners in uh, Hannibal in, the, in that area that also are, are Master Naturalists. So... We have a pen, 217-223-8380 is the U of I Extension Office in Adams County. And also, while you're calling that number, we have our gardener's palette that's going to be coming up the first Saturday of March, March 5th. And we'll talk about that more probably next month. Sure. But we have a really nice lineup of speakers. And I'm doing a little make and take on herbal salad dressing. That is fantastic. And again, we want to tell everybody, Master Gardener's Palette uh, is the first weekend usually in March. And they have a wide variety of um, options to take. But some of the more popular ones do get booked up very quickly. That's true. So if you are particularly interested in making uh, herbal salad dressing, for example, with Dr. Deborah Lee, then, you know, get on and, and get signed up as soon as uh, registration opens because they want to make sure they have a wide variety of things, but everybody is interested in something different, so you want to make sure you get your selections in. It's kind of like signing up your freshman year. You find mm-hmm. out all the sophomores took all the classes you wanted, you know, <laughs> and that's not really fair at college. So It's that a fun is event. It's really nice for gardeners. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward to more information about that. Hopefully, Extension will send me something. I did get something about the Naturalist Program, and that is really exciting. We've been talking about that in our community calendar. Well, here we are on a day like today. Winter's back. My goodness. There were a few days there. I think January 3rd, mm-hmm. you could have gone out and planted, but you don't want to do that. But there's a lot going on. And one of the things we love to do if you're a gardener is just to envision, just to start, get out those seed catalogs and say, what am I going to put here? And if you're trying to plant for the whole year, you want spring, summer, fall, takes a little bit of um, advanced legwork, doesn't it, Dr. Lee? Right. And last time we talked about maybe getting our lawns a little bit smaller because there's no pollinator ability on most of those lawns. I have all sorts of things growing in my lawn because I don't spray it. But uh, we could edge away a little bit of that lawn and put in some uh, some boxes that I want to talk about uh, or other ways to just have some flowers that are pollinator-friendly. Now, one thing I want to mention about that is a lot of the flowers that have been developed or hybridized in the last 10, 20, 30 years are there for their beauty or their fragrance or whatever tendency is important for that particular flower. But often they're not pollinator friendly because Mm -hmm. just in the process of hybridizing, it's not the same 
um, I don't know what the word would be, but it's, it's, it's not the same for pollination. And so a lot of the butterflies and the many other hundreds of pollinators are not able to pollinate. So you want to check that out if you're buying flowers someplace already at a, at a center or if you're just growing your own to see if they are like an older variety. So them. would it say pollinator friendly on it or would you have to ask somebody? Like you got to South End Plants, they've got an expert. You go to a big box right. store, they don't necessarily have an expert there. Sometimes you know. there are little tags on there that say pollinator friendly. Okay. I do remember one time I, my little mentor girl and I, she's probably 30 by now, but uh, we planted a butterfly bush because it's pollinator friendly. And after we got it all planted and it took us, you know, maybe a half an hour and it was so much fun. We went to the store. We got it. You know, we went back. And then she just stood there. She goes, when's the butterfly going to come? Like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't quite work quite that yeah, easily. You have to lower them. They're later in the summer. You know, I never thought about that, that she would instantaneously, as a second grader or a third grader, expect a butterfly, a whole bunch of butterflies to, to immediately emerge. come and come on this butterfly bush. So plant pollinator friendly. You have to be very cautious about that. I mean, obviously, we want beautiful things in our garden, but if we can also help our insect friends like the butterflies, they need so much help right now. Well, and that helps us in return with our agriculture. Um, so one thing I was, while we were talking about U of I Extension, I wanted to mention that if you go to U of I Extension and you Google that, um, there's so many resources for gardening, growing flowers, fruits and vegetables and landscaping. It's a wealth of information. And this is the time of the year that we often want to think ahead and start preparing ourselves for what we want to do in the, the spring and the summer to have all the lush produce that we want or the flowers. So that would be something good to do. Go to the U of I Extension and, and look under uh, the the Four Seasons Gardening also because there's some webinars in there. So if you want to study up while it's still too cold to be outside and planting, that's a good way to do it. Very good, very good idea. And, of course, University of Missouri Extension, University of Iowa Extension. All Because people are listening all over. All and, uh, you know, it's so funny. Uh, we may live in another state. But it's only as wide. I mean, if I'm listening in West Quincy, you're, you're, right. only, you're, you're only two blocks away from me, you know what I mean, right. as opposed to, you know, if you're listening in Jacksonville, Illinois, you have less in common than you do if you're right. in Canton. So it's very, very important that we, uh, we know what to plant and how to plant it and what things are good for our zone. Right. I wanted to talk a little bit about raised bed gardens. Yes. The and, friend of the elderly. Yes, or, or anybody, really. With a bad the, with, the, with the raised beds... <clears throat> When I did mine, I was a little naive, and I did a lot of digging and shoveling and putting all of this soil so I could then put uh, four-by-fours around this. And it's usually an eight-foot by four-foot raised bed. And that way, with the four feet, you can reach across to the middle on either side, and you don't have to step on anything. And then the eight-foot is just, I don't know, it's just come, become kind of a standard. But usually what people would do would be to take and build that structure ahead of time or have somebody come and do it, and then uh, kill the soil, the, the kill any of the plants that are going there. Now, you can do that with sprays. I'm organic, and so I use the shower curtain method. I have found that if I have an old shower curtain that's plastic, and I put it down, and I just lay some boards or something on top of it for, for whatever new garden that I'm doing, um, it kills it off within a week or so, and you can really get in there and dig around in the soil. Now, I have wonderful topsoil. A lot of people that 
have bought a house in Quincy in maybe the last 30 years or more, a lot of the topsoil has been scraped away and sold, and then there's just clay. Then you have more of a problem. So then you might have to have some soil that comes in and compost and need a little more education to uh, get that developed. But if you have one or two of those, it is phenomenal how much that you can grow because if you're growing produce, you can just change it up every few months and you can have something that starts in March and maybe lasts until the first hard frost. But with flowers, it's the same thing. And I love to do a lot of flowers that are perennials that come back. Well, the great thing about it is uh, we do can, we do something similar in our little bitty garden. But as soon as you take something out, yep, you can stir up the sto- soil, maybe put a little fertilizer mm-hmm. down if you want, and sure. then just replant something right there. Right. So it's continuously producing and growing something, and you just go and pick and choose whatever's ripe that day. And if you pull the whole stalk, as opposed to like a tomato, you're not pulling the whole stalk, but... You know, if you're pulling something out like a spring onion or a carrot or whatever, something either of the same species or if it's too late for that, something of another species could go right in that area. So you're constantly rejuvenating your garden. That is a great idea. You can get from very, very early spring to late fall planting out of the same patch of fertilized soil. We've done that. We did that with KHQA TV about 10 years ago. We had two plots that were that size. And I think we were on about once a week, and it was phenomenal how much produce was produced. I remember that segment. You guys would go out, and they'd show you, you know, what you were planting that day, what you were harvesting that day. There are an awful lot of people who want to eat more healthy. They want to have uh, better digestion, better gut biome, uh, just eat more healthy foods. Find out what those foods are that you're going to eat, and if it's really hard to grow, then you're going to have to buy it at the grocery store. But mm-hmm. if it's something really super simple, you know, you can plant that in a either container or a raised bed. And I like the idea of putting the shower curtain down. Yeah. If you've got a large area that's all weedy and disgusting and you want to get rid of that, you know, you've got to kill everything that's there. Putting a shower curtain down and weighting it down either, you know, with mm-hmm. the with the frame or whatever, that will do it. It kills I mean, it pretty quickly. Yeah, it does it pretty quickly. A shower, don't get a clear one. No, the clear I mean, one actually. Got to be have one, got, <laughs> you know, a non-see-through uh, shower curtain. But those are great ideas. So, you know, eight by four. That's general. I would say scrap lumber is fine. If you go out and they've got a sale on seven and a half foot long boards, don't say sure. I need eight. <laughs> you, know, you don't need something but fancy to make this. You don't want something that's been treated. Right. Because then those chemicals will creep into what you have. You could probably get by with that with flowers, but you certainly don't want that with your produce. You really, when it comes to it, um, a lot of people just aren't, I, I would be one of them. I wouldn't have anything, I wouldn't know anything about lumber or wood until I married my husband. And now I know that you can spend an exorbitant amount of money on wood, but you only do that if you're going to make something that you really want to show off. If you're just basically building something that the wood's not going to show or it's going to show, but, you know, it just has to be a solid color. You don't even want to paint it. You can get a lot of scraps and a lot of different kinds of things right. and plywood and all kinds of stuff that you can make a raised bed very, very uh, in, in, uh, inexpensively. The other thing some people like to do is they like to maybe put a little one place on it, a little bench, you know, that they mm-hmm. can sit. Because after a while when you're out there sometimes, at least one side of it, maybe the short side, at least one side, build a little thing out that's a a ledge so that you can sit down and rest your tired bones. 
Yes. Now, one thing I was thinking about is a lot of us know Susan Asher. You know Susan Asher. Oh, yes. And uh, she and I were doing some pollinator program slideshows for a while because we did some studying, and we were having a lot of fun with that. And so she decided to do a pollinator garden on an area of her backyard where there was a little bit of a hill anyway. And so I'm guessing it was probably at that time about 20 feet by 10 feet that she did. And she just started small. I'm not sure exactly how if she killed off some of the weeds or not, but... It is just beautiful, and every year it gets a little bigger. And so it's it's fun to do something simple like that, that she didn't even put anything around it. Yeah. Her husband, well, Terry, was really good at just edging around there, I think, with the Susan weed Susan is one of the people I love because she's what we call a lifelong learner. Yeah. She's always <laughs> curious and wants to learn more. We're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Deb Lee from Four Winds Farm. She's an Illinois master gardener. We're also going to talk about soil conservation in the second half of the Mary Griffith Show with an expert from Monroe City who will be calling in. So stay tuned. Keep listening to WTAD. Well, thank you, Steve Bull, for Dolly Parton's birthday song on her 77th birthday, Love is Like a Butterfly, segueing beautifully into Master Gardener. Uh, Deb Lee, who has pollinator uh, plots at Four Winds Farm, encourages people to put up pollinator plots. And again, we have to have variety. Uh, we have to attract a large amount and different kinds of pollinators. So mm-hmm. talk about that, how we can get kind of continuous uh, visual excitement, because we still want it to be visually exciting for our human self, mm-hmm. while it is also nectar exciting <laughs> for our pollinators. And we have to do that throughout time, not just one burst that happens two weeks out of the year and then it's gone. Right. And one thing that I have at the farm is a butterfly garden. I have a sensory garden. And so I have a whole variety of different plants. And there's some that uh, many that I have out there are perennials. And it's really fun to notice what's going to come up first and throughout the season. Um, When you're starting to develop one of these gardens, just do a little bit of research And you also want to think like, okay, if you have like a bed that's about eight feet by four feet, there's a lot that can go in there. And if you have perennials, they're going to probably be blooming for maybe two weeks at a time. Uh, During the summer, it might be up to a month at a time. Things like echinacea and rebecchias and um, the the zinnias sometimes, you know, if if they haven't been pollinated and and changed a whole lot, uh, then they can be really good. But uh, everybody wants to have zinnias. They're really tall, and I would probably put those in some other area, not in my pollinator garden. So uh, there's a lot of things that you can plant from seed. That's going to take a little bit longer. And if you're going to do that, you want to notice the package or wherever you get it and to see how the depth and how much watering. You usually need to get those started and be out there and watering them a little bit every day. And we always want to water in the evening. That's what we learn when we're studying about horticulture. That's the best time to do that. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to do that in the evening, but... uh, to do it early in the morning or in the evening are the best times. And um, the reason you do that is because you don't want water on the leaves. Now, if you have a way to avoid getting the top of the plant wet, you can do it mm-hmm. during the daytime. But large amounts of people don't have a way to keep the top from getting wet. You certainly can't use a hose. And, and you, you don't know. want to do that when it's real hot. Yeah. Because that can be a shock to the plant, and it's just difficult to them. But I think I said that wrong because... Uh, Watering in the morning is nice, and harvesting in the morning is a nice time, too, when it's not just super, super hot. Um, so otherwise, you can have your plants. 
Uh, and you can find those where you purchase them ahead of time. And there again, you have a, a little bit of a nursery school time period where you have to take care of them. You want to water them usually every day a little bit and then kind of start to spur, uh, have that kind of extended out further. One thing that is important is that we want plants to develop deep roots. And this year we're pretty lucky because we had some rain and I planted a lot of things and then we didn't have a lot of rain for a while. And so that forced the roots to say, oh, I've got to go down further. And that's a good thing. We want to have that. So if we're constantly watering the plants every day, they're not going to get those, especially uh, in the spring. They're not going to go down as deep. So then once they're kind of established, we say uh, to water once a week. You know, I think that is so um, important I was in charge of, you know, when I was in high, or in college, my sorority house, we did a whole new landscaping thing. I went over every day and watered. That was a mistake. It was. I thought I was doing the right thing. But the new grass we put down, the turf, it never developed a deep root set because it didn't have to. Right. I was coming over every day and turning on the sprinkler system. And, you know, for 20 minutes, I was probably overwatering, first of all. And number two, I was doing it every day. So these poor roots said, well, we don't have to put any effort right. into this. Lazy Everything plant. we need is right here, you know. <laughs> and so every once in a while, no, you don't want them to get parched, but... You know, making them work a little bit for yes. their water is a good idea because you may not be there all the time to water, and if they don't know how to work for their water, they won't get it. Especially the first six weeks or so when you plant them. That's very, very important. I always like say, picking up a baby every time it cries. Don't do that <laughs> because then the baby will cry all the time. You know, so you've got to feed it and then say, I'm sorry. At some point in time, you're going to have to be a grown-up, even though you're only six weeks old. <laughs> Yes, yes. I always say that when we're praying for weather, you know, like, oh, we need rain, we're praying for rain, and then we get this big deluge, or it's too wet or too dry. I always say just pray for an inch a week, because that's really the idea. If you pray for an inch of water a week, then you're going to be... You could be lazy and do other things. Going to be, going to be making it happen. We've just got a little bit more time. So, what's one more great thing we need to talk about? Because it's February, and on a day like today, you're not going to be doing much. But you can be dreaming about the pollinator garden. You can be dreaming about the seeds you want for your vegetable garden and for your flower garden. You can be making the bed, you know, the uh, raised bed. You can be hammering that together this weekend, even though it's going to be cold. So there's lots of stuff you can do. And, and I return to this idea of going to the U of I or some of the, one of the other uh, states extension service because they have a lot on landscaping and they have a lot on building all the things that we talked about. And so it's a, this is the fun time of the year to research. I think that that's nice. We can just kind of read up on things and dream and sketch and be ready for when we can go out and march or so and start working the land a little bit. Okay. Deborah Lee, thank you. We'll see you back here in February on the third Thursday of the month. We greatly appreciate your help today. <laughs> The Mary Griffith Show rolls on, powered by Refreshment Services Pepsi and Harvest Ridge Coffee. If you're kind of in that low period right now, refill your cup with Harvest Ridge Coffee or stop by your local convenience store and ask for a delicious cup of Harvest Ridge Coffee from Pepsi and Refreshment Services Pepsi. People often say, how do you get on the Mary Griffith Show? You have to have something interesting to talk about and just give me a call. And that's what Lucas Brass did. He said, hey, 
I've got a soil and conservation idea. I want to get out to people. We're going to have a big meeting. I know nothing about the topic, so that's why Lucas Brass is here to tell us all about it. Welcome to the Mary Griffith Show. Mary, thanks a lot. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you letting us come on and, and visit about uh, visit about our workshop that we've got coming up next Friday at Monroe City. And we're going to go from 8.30 until 3.30. It's our fifth annual NEMO West Central Illinois Soul Health Workshop, and uh, we're we're excited we're excited to be hosting hosting again this year. The great thing about Monroe City, you're going to bring in people from all over the area, like you said, Western Illinois, Northeast Missouri. Anybody's welcome to come uh, next Friday in Monroe City. Now, this topic, you know, I'm completely devoid of any knowledge of this topic. So, why why even have a seminar? What who comes and and what do they learn when you're there? Well, it's it's open it's open to anybody. You know, farmers, producers, uh, landowners. You know, landlords. You know, maybe maybe they don't know a lot about uh, the soil health uh, topic that we that we discuss there. But uh, their farmers, you know, their their tenants or whatever may be talking about it. So we we want them to be educated as well. We want educators to come. Uh, you know, we invite you know folks from uh, local local ag. You know, whether it be university or high school that that want to come, and you know, students can come as well. But uh, it's also open to folks not only on the, on the cropland side, but grazing. You know, we, we have livestock topics. We'll have livestock breakouts after lunch. But, but we, you know, we, we really focus on the principles of soil health. And those principles are finding ways to increase residues on, on, our, on our fields, increase living roots in the ground throughout the year, increasing diversity of, of the species or the livestock or the plants or the roots that we put out there on, on the ground and reducing disturbance and tillage and also trying to figure out a way to integrate livestock if, if we're able to. Yeah. One thing I heard from a cattle farmer one time, he said, uh, I don't raise cows. I raise grass and I use the cows to get the money out of my grass. And I thought that was very interesting way to put it because you know, supplementing feedstock is very is very expensive. So if you can get, you know, them to eat as much of the grass and get them grass fed as much as possible, you, your productivity and your profitability can go up. Exactly, exactly, Mary. I, I I couldn't agree more. And and if we can if we can figure out a way to to, you know, graze that that livestock or those livestock more efficiently. Uh, on on our on our grass or, or on our pastures, if if we can you know move them around there quicker and and get more rest, then then we allow our grass to grow you know more efficiently and stronger in the process. Um, and 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 we can actually you know over time if if we get into a to a more management intensive system, you know we can actually add more numbers, more livestock. Uh, because our because our ground's going to support it because of the way we're managing it, um, and 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 that's a you know that's a big that's a big shift for a lot of folks in the way they're currently managing. But but we're going to have we're going to have folks there to to talk about it and talk about ways to to start you know down that down that path of making a management change. Uh, and and you know our focus our focus of this workshop has always been to to you know educate folks. Give them, give them things to think about. Take back home and and try and figure out where they can where they can start integrating those principles uh, in their operation. Can can they integrate all of them at once? 
Maybe not. But, but you know, maybe we can start somewhere, and, and after a few years, you know, we add something else. We add another principal. We add another principal, and, uh, and we can really start to make a difference on, on our operations. You know, so many people in the urban setting, you know, I don't really care as long as I've got something to eat. I don't think too much about where it came from. But, you know, we have to keep our our soil healthy. And we can't just be constantly dumping fertilizer, 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 fertilizer on top of it. Because now environmentally, people are really starting to have their eyes wide open that this is not sustainable. And so is soil sustainable? Because it seems to me that if you keep planting on soil you're eventually going to deplete it. Is there a way to make it sustainable? Well, I think, uh, you know, that's that's a great question. And I think right now, you know, I'm, I'm at a conference out here in uh, uh, Salina, Kansas uh, today. I was here yesterday. And, and, a, and a gentleman said, you know, right now we, you know, we erode, we erode our land uh, at, at a rate, you know, equal to, you know, one ton or one pound per one bushel of soybean that we export yearly in, in the United States. And so is, so is that sustainable? I don't, I don't think it is. Uh, I, I'm not happy with that number. I'd, I'd like to see it go down. So, you know, we, we have to, you know, we, we've, we've really done a lot in, in terms of soil erosion. You know, we've reduced it quite a bit, you know, between the 80s and the 90s. But, but you know, ever since, you know, the early 90s, now, you know, we're just kind of maintaining. We, we haven't really reduced it that much, and we're still eroding at a rate of almost three tons per acre per year, according to uh, according to a, a slide that I saw here this morning out of Salina. And that's that's just not, you know, to me, that's that's not sustainable. And and you know, I'd like to see folks, you know, down to down to less than a ton, less than half a ton per year. Um, you know, we just we just can't think that that you know continuing to have eroding soils or continuing to put more and more and more fertilizers on our ground is is sustainable because you know cost the cost of land is going up uh the cost of fertilizers and and chemicals is going up and so we've got to figure out ways to to make our our soils healthier increase the biological activities in our soil that can help us reduce some of those inputs. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that, that, you know, you're going to be able to reduce all your inputs, uh, get rid of commercial fertilizers and everything else, you know, in, in the snap of a finger. You're not. But if, if you can start to initiate some of these principles, go to some of these workshops, learn, uh, take in, you know, take in some of the information that's being talked about, visit with the presenters, you know, I think you can start to figure out ways to, to cut back on certain things, whether it be herbicides or some fertilizers and, and reduce some of those inputs and, and, you know, see, see some better profits on the other end. Lucas Brass, my guest today, he's in Salina, Kansas right now, but uh, the workshop he's talking about is next Friday in Monroe City from 8.30 to 3.30. I want to ask you a tough question because uh, I'm a city folk. My parents were farmers, but, you know, I can see a, grand, a grandparents, their children, and their grandchildren sitting in this seminar next Friday learning all about how to keep that century, two-century family farm going into the third century. But what about the guy who cash rents? What incentive does he have to be good to the soil? Because he doesn't own it. He doesn't care. He's just trying to get everything he can out of it uh, while the landlord's not looking, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I think, 
if if a uh, if a landlord uh, or if if a tenant really cares about the land and and they want to maintain that land and, and be able to show that landlord that that they do care, then then I think you know trying to initiate some of these soil health principles is is definitely a way to do that. If uh, you know if they continue to just you know mine it or or you know do you know do whatever they feel they need to do to to get the most bang for their buck. Uh, I think, you know, unfortunately some scars are going to start showing up on, on aerial photos after a couple of years. And, and if, if, if the landlord, you know, cares just as much about that land, you know, if they go out there and, and take a look and all of a sudden they're seeing ditches or the landlord saying, Hey, we, you know, we got to fix some stuff here. Well, you know, why do we have to fix things? You know, there, we didn't have all these ditches, uh, you know, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. And, and uh, those ditches aren't there just because of the amount of rainfall. Those ditches are there because of the way the land's been treated, as well as 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 well as what's happened uh, with the weather. You know, one thing a lot of folks say that that I I look up to is we don't have a uh, we have an infiltration problem. We don't have an erosion problem. We have an infiltration problem, and and we really need to figure out how we can make our ground more like a sponge and and have aggregate stability and and get water to to infiltrate into the soil profile and hold it there and try to avoid you know drought type conditions or or prolonged uh dry spells that's and and the biology in the soil is is the best way to go about that that I've seen over over my 10 years of working working in the field that that I've been in now close to 20 but but learning more about soil health over the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Well, we've got about a minute and a half left. Lucas Brass, I've, I've learned a lot just sitting here talking to you for 10 minutes. Uh, tell us more about this seminar, how we get registered, where it is, who needs to come. I tell you what, three generations of farmers better get themselves to this if they expect that farm to be here 100 years from now. Exactly. Exactly, Mary. And, again, uh, I appreciate you having me on here this morning. As far as registration goes, Folks can call uh, call the New London office down there at 573-985-8611. And if they hit extension 3, they can visit with, uh, visit with the folks there and give us your name, uh, email address, so we can keep you on our list. And uh, a little bit other information, how many folks are going to come. We're, we're taking RSVPs. Uh, we'd like for folks to call by the end of the day tomorrow to where we can make sure we got enough uh, food for everybody. You can also go to uh, you can search Nemo Soil Health on the uh, on on the interwebs there, uh, and and that'll get you. If you come across one of our flyers, we've got a QR code on the flyer, and you can scan that, and that'll that'll take you to a registration page. And the, it is free. We don't we don't charge to come. We never have charges to come. We've got we've got a lot of great sponsors that uh, that help us out, and and I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't mention those sponsors, Mary. Uh, sponsors such as MFA, FCS Financial, Green Valley Seed, Ursa Farmers Co-op, Big Iron Auctions, Poet, Yetter Manufacturing, Indigo Ag, Pioneer, Martin Till, Montag Manufacturing, uh, Palmyra Nutrien, Brongard Ag down at Bowling Green, Farmers Elevator in Monroe City, Great Rivers Bank, Hannibal Tractor, MA Bank, Crop Builders Plus, HNB Banks, American Family Insurance, Brandy Strawby. TPNB Bank over in Paris, uh, and Wazoric Farm Supply. So we've got a long list of sponsors. 
they're they're the reason uh, they're the reason we can provide that free lunch. The ladies of the Holy Rosary over there at Monroe City are providing the lunch. It'll be a fantastic roast beef lunch. And uh, and again, give us a call. 573-985-8611, extension 3, or uh, look up uh, Nemo Soil Health on the Google. Okay, Lucas Brash, you got to get back to work. I thank you so very much. Enjoy your seminar in Salina, Kansas, and we'll see you next Friday in Monroe City. Thanks again, folks, for joining me on the Mary Griffith Show.